grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? Thursday night. See, we got through the week. One more day. One more day in this weekend. It's been a long week, right, for everybody. I'm just going to give a heads up right now with the show in that, uh, you know, there was a lot of breaking news today. A couple of really big news stories came out. So I'm just letting you know about the internet situation, like what usually happens when there's breaking news days. Everybody in my neighborhood is on Xfinity. So as they get home from work, we just might have some issues with it. I don't think we will. I've uh, reset my modem a couple of times today already. So hopefully there's nothing going on like that, but you never know. You know, been there, done that, right? Anyway, welcome everybody. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. Got a great show for you today. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. Uh, we are 45 strong up and down the state of California. We also investigate Oregon, Washington. We actually have people, actually, in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii who can help you out. So for anybody listening in those areas, you can reach me. You can reach me here on Facebook via my, 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 my regular name or through California Haunts. There's like three or four California Haunts pages, maybe more on Facebook that you can reach me through. Now, if you're over on Twitter... It's Cal Haunts, okay? If you're over on TikTok, it's California Haunts, all lowercase. Now, if you want to find me on Instagram, because I am looking for followers over there, it's under Ghosty Gal. Just real simple, Ghosty Gal, all lowercase. So see, I'm easy to find. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. You can Google my name, it'll pop up, you know? And uh, on, along that line, too, if you're watching from Facebook, please be sure to follow, hit that follow button as we're looking to build up our followers, and uh, I'd appreciate it. Also, same thing for Instagram. Come over to Instagram follow me over there, too, because I'm doing stuff over there, small videos and shorts and stuff like that. Also, and if you're watching from YouTube, be sure to click that little ghost down in the bottom right-hand corner with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on because that is our mascot, and that will subscribe you to, my YouTube, to our YouTube channel where we have more than 450 videos over there that you can peruse. Remember, I'm a journalist, photojournalist, so I like to change up the shows. I don't like to be the same topic. I don't like to be all ghosty all the time, you know. I like to change it up. So I'm sure there's something over there that you that you will find that you enjoy or that you're interested in. There's a little bit of something for everybody. Tonight. Now, last night we were paranormal, right? We were talking science and ghost hunting. Tonight we're shifting gears. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Bible. We're going to be talking about some Bible prophecy. And we're going to be talking about... These scrolls, uh, scrolls I've never heard of until about a, a couple weeks ago, called the Copper Scrolls. And the gentleman I have on is a former, I'll let him introduce you to him, I'll let him do his own introduction, but he's a former police officer. And uh, he is very interested in locating these scrolls. So let's find out why and see what's going on with that. My guest is Jim Barfield. Here we go. Hello, sir. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm having a wonderful time here in Tennessee with some uh, really great people doing one of the biblical holidays called the Feast of Sukkot. Fantastic. Fantastic. Tell me about you. Let's, let's find out who you are. 
Well, I am uh, 67 years old. I uh, grew up in Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, I worked there as a, as a dishwasher, as an assistant chef, and then I went into the military, spent 10 and a half years in the military, got out, went into the Lawton uh, Fire Department, stayed there for 23 years. The last, uh, last years that I was there, I was the uh, assistant fire marshal. And I became the, uh, I got lucked out and I won investigator of the year for Oklahoma and investigator of the year internationally. So I've got pretty good at that. And I think that really helped whenever it came to understanding what you were talking about, this mm -hmm. copper scroll. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The copper scroll is a, literally what it says. It's a scroll that's about seven and a half feet long, about a foot and a few inches wide. And it's got, it's got markings on it, Hebrew letters, and it spells out the directions to find 57 hordes of incredible Solomon's Temple treasures. And uh, I'm very confident that uh, I've discovered how to, how to understand it. They found the Copper Scroll in 1952. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, no one's been able to figure it out. Well, I just happened to be the lucky guy that that understands how to under, uh, how to follow the directions, and really, it's it was like it was like you know if somebody gives you instructions to a neighborhood. You're going to see a buddy in uh, Oregon, and they give you instructions to a neighborhood, but they don't tell you which neighborhood. Uh -huh. That's that's exact situation that uh, I was in, and all these guys were in since 1952. Is the only difference is I figured out which neighborhood it's in. And that from there, I was able to find each and every one of these locations. What I find interesting, I never heard of the Copper Scroll before. Where are the references to that? Um, the references are mainly Jewish. Okay. Uh, there, there's a book called Emek Hamelek, which means, uh, in Hebrew, it means uh, Valley of the King. There's another one called the Apocalypse of Baruch. It mm -hmm. talks about it in the... Uh, the marble tablets from Ezekiel's tomb, they give the same story as a Mechamelech, and it just goes on and on and on. And in Second Maccabees, most people have, uh, or a lot of people that uh, you know have a religious background have Second Maccabees in their library. Go to Second Maccabees, second chapter, and you will see the instruction, the story about the Copper Scroll uh, that happened during the time of Jeremiah. Okay. Was it difficult for them to find? To find what? The scroll? Oh, the scroll? Yeah. Actually, they had no idea the scroll existed. Okay. Uh, the, the people that found it. And we're talking about uh, an excavation that took place out in the area of Qumran uh, mm -hmm. by the Dead Sea. They were doing an excavation trying to find more Dead Sea scrolls, uh, hoping they would find something. Well, I think they found a few things. But on the last day of the excavation that they had established and scheduled, they were looking through what is called Cave 3. They were looking through there and behind, it was a false wall, and it wouldn't built to be a false wall. At the, the ceiling just collapsed. And behind that, that false wall, one guy just looked behind it, just doing his double check, and there it was, sitting on a little dirt shelf, been sitting there for almost 2,400 years. Wow. And how big is this thing? 
Um, Weight-wise, it's not real heavy, but uh, it was about seven feet long, seven and a half feet long, and a little more than uh, a little more than a foot wide. Wow, that's incredible to think that it was there. Yeah, and it's incredible that it lasted for you know, like I said, twenty three, twenty four hundred years. It was it lasted a long time. There were some rotten spots on it. Matter of fact, it was so brittle. Uh, copper, it, it gains patina, that green color to it. Right. Yeah, it gains the patina, and it becomes brittle as the older it gets and the thicker the patina gets. So they had to take it. They found it in 1952, but they had to take it to uh, England and cut it, cut it open at a university there. They used a dental, <laughs> the dental drill rig so they could use a tiny you know, one inch, maybe an inch and a quarter uh, circular saw blade and then just made little tiny cuts from the bottom to the top and, and they sliced it into slices so that they wouldn't bend it, try to bend it to get it out of there because when they bent it, trying to unfold it because it was all rolled up, two rolls, it was the same scroll, but it was all rolled up. Matter of fact, when they were rolling up back in antiquity, the thing snapped in two because the rivets they didn't do the rivets good and they broke in two. So now you got two scrolls, but it's actually just one scroll, the copper scroll, not the copper scrolls. And it broke. So they had to be very careful whenever they were um, cutting it open, not to lose any of the data, any of the information, because once they got it open, they realized that mm -hmm. this was a, is, and I don't like to call it a treasure map because I am not a treasure hunter. They cut it open. It had tons. Sure and tons of gold, silver, gems, King Solomon's temple artifacts. It was the most, it is the most incredible treasures in history. That, that just, it just blows my mind, you know? And did they, I mean, were they out to, like you say, they, they were looking for the Dead Sea Scrolls, so they really, were, were, essentially they weren't looking for this thing, right? They just came across no. it. No, they had no idea it was out there. And the only ones that really knew about it, like I said, were the Jewish people. But after all these years, you know, very, very few people probably even knew it existed. They went back in their records and they started looking and they found some information uh, about the uh, Copper Scroll and some of the really old, like 16th century uh, records. That's just absolutely incredible to me. So you got interested in, 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 in researching it. And so how did that research go when you started getting to look, you know, look, look into the stuff? Well, let me tell you how I got interested in it. Okay. I am a, I, I studied, I studied the Bible a lot, a, a lot. And I wanted to get to know more information. And I got interested in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, there was a guy in Texas named Bendel Jones. And a friend of mine knew him. So she set up a meeting between the, the two of us. So my, my wife and my two grandchildren that were with me went to Bindle's house and we spent the weekend talking about my research, chronology research, and his copper scroll research. Well, Bindle's, uh, he had some really good history on the copper scroll. You know, the background that Jeremiah and five men were the ones that orchestrated this, the burying of all these uh, temple artifacts and gold, mm -hmm. but he, Vindel didn't have, uh, all of his research was the way he put it. He had it all in his head. Well, 
in order to, to examine research and with all due respect to the guy, cause I got a lot of respect for him is you can't really examine someone's research and get to know it unless you have it in writing. Right. So what I did was, is I thought, you know what? I was a good investigator. I think I'll give it a shot and see what I can see, what I can come up with. And listen, true story. It was, um, in the middle of Hanukkah, if you know anything about the Jewish holidays, actually, they're not Jewish holidays, they're God's holidays. In the middle of Hanukkah, I decided to dig into it. It was like December. of It was the middle of December, cold as it could be. I was in my study, and I had I pulled out a, a translation of it from a guy named uh, Florentino Garcias Martinez. It was uh, the translation that he had made of the Copper Scroll. I started looking at it and it, it read very simply that this is how I figured it out. Uh, it said under the ruins, the very first line said under the ruins in the Valley of Accor. I knew what the Valley of Accor was, but the only set of ruins that I was familiar with was the ruins called Qumran. That's where all the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in that area. So I thought, well, I will examine Qumran and if it matches the instructions on the Copper Scroll, and, you know, because it gives instructions that go here, find this, dig, you know, this number of cubits deep and mm -hmm. you'll find these items. Mm -hmm. Usually they were huge amounts of gold, huge amounts of silver and, and, and gems. But it also had, like I said, artifacts from the Temple of Solomon. Now, once I did, I did the first one and I found it like within a few minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I realized, oh, my gosh. I think I know how to understand this thing because all the ar archaeologists, the guys with the PhDs, they were looking for these items scattered all over Israel. But that's not what the scroll said. The scroll said, under the ruins in the Valley of Accor. And it didn't say, once I found that first uh, set of ruins, it didn't say to go to another set of ruins. It didn't say leave the area. It just kept naming locations within those ruins. And location after location. Now, this is the first five minutes. Right. I figured that out. And I'm, I'm not joking. I really, this really happened. And then uh, 20 minutes later, I had the first five figured out. And I thought, how in the name of goodness that, did these archaeologists and guys with the PhDs not figure this out? It's simple. Just follow the instructions. And my wife teases me all the time about that. She said, Jimmy, that's the only time in your life you've ever followed instructions. And it paid <laughs> off that day because guys don't. They, we, we like to do it on our own. But I followed all the way through it, followed the instructions, and I found all of them. But I'm really shaky on one of them. Uh -huh. Not sure I, I've got it found. But, you know, 56 out of 57 locations, that's pretty good. That is awesome. Have you contacted, you know, anybody with the results that, that you've gotten on this? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, what within their, what was their reaction? Uh, they about wet their pants. They it was. I'm telling you, what I did was this. I figured out about twenty of them, mm -hmm. and by February, I was in December of 2006. I figured out about twenty of them. Then, no, into February. By that February, I figured out twenty of them. And my wife and I jumped on an airplane put on a couple of backpacks and headed for Israel to test my theory, to actually go to the location, look at it and everything matched. Everything that I'd found matched all the, the, uh, the uh, features that were there, all of them matched. It was awesome. 
So what? So you go to Israel, everything matches. What? What was the next step then? Beyond that. Next step. Next step I went to visit with a guy named Gershon Solomon. Mm -hmm. That trip, I went to see Gershon Solomon, showed him my research, and he was excited. But then after that, I went from there and, and went back to Oklahoma and finished the book, uh, my research book, because uh, I got everything documented, every oh. single thing documented. And I was, I was uh, working at a college in the evenings teaching investigative report writing. Well, they wanted the instructor or the lead uh, like the Dean there wanted me to come back and do a presentation, kind of like what I'm doing tonight. Only I showed him a little bit of my research. Right. And he said, will you come back and, and tell your story? And, and I said, sure. When I got done, it was at lunchtime. We all, all the staff met in the, in the uh, cafeteria and we did this. Well, when I got done, this it was a Comanche lady, she asked me to come into her office. And I said, well, sure. I, I didn't have a lot of time, but I thought, I thought, you know, sit down and talk with them. And she said, I think I can help you with your project in Israel. And I'm thinking, sweet lady. She was a art teacher slash dean of the college slash. I thought, how in the world is she going to help me? But mm -hmm. she did. Her husband was Jewish. She was, you know, she was married to him. So she was following the Jewish faith. And her, her husband was I, where I live is Fort, by Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Okay. And Fort Sill is the largest or the main artillery school in the world for NATO, for, uh, for uh, Americans, even Marines, not just Army guys. So she and her husband were sponsoring artillery officers from Israel to come over and, you know, learn uh, more about the artillery field. Well, she just so happened to to uh, sponsor a guy by the name of Shuka Dorfman. I think he was a lieutenant colonel at the time, uh, Israeli lieutenant colonel. But uh, she got to know uh, his wife and his kids, and they became good friends. Well, after she talked to me, she said, you know what? I'm going to call Shuka, Shuka Dorfman. She said, and I'm going to see if I can set up a meeting for you. She said, would you like to go over there and meet him? I said, are you kidding me? Of course I would, because... He became, after he retired as a general, he became the head of the Antiquities Authority of Israel. What a coincidence. Wow. Pretty amazing. So uh, my wife and I jumped on an airplane again, and we headed, or my friend, I, I took uh, number two on the Copper Scroll Project, Chris Knight. We headed for Israel, and we, when we got over there, we had a meeting already set up with Shuka Dorfman. Went into a... a, a went into the location where he wanted to meet me. We talked, he wanted to meet me at the Citadel hotel on a Friday afternoon at, at about noon. So we went in there and he and his wife, Talma were sitting at this small table in the Citadel hotel, overlooking the old city, the old city of Jerusalem. So we sat down there and he, we did a lot of small talk. I flew helicopters in the army. He flew uh, uh, airplanes. He was in artillery. I was in artillery. Uh, on and on. Had a lot in common. Then he asked me, plain and simple, he said, well, Mr. Barfield, what can I do for you? And I said, oh, well, Mr. Dorfin, it's what I'm going to do for you. And he said, well, that scares me. And he seriously, it's what he said. And we laughed. And I said, have you ever heard of the Copper Scroll? He said, yeah, I've heard of it. And I said, of course I have. And well, he said that. And he said, uh, why? I said, because I think I know how to understand it. 
he looked at me and you could just see his face kind of melt. He <laughs> stayed a gentleman. He, he still was kind to me, but he said, okay. He said, you know, Mr. Barford, we're here. Why don't you show me what you've got? Listen, Charlotte, within just a few minutes, within five minutes, I had show, I showed him the first one and he kind of sat up in his chair. Showing the second one, he was leaning forward. Third one, he had his elbows on the table. Fourth one, he just said, okay, stop. I thought he was angry, mm -hmm. but he was leaning over and he was pulling my work closer and closer to him. He said, Mr. Barfield, hold on just a minute. He reached in his leather bag uh, and he pulls out a phone, a uh, cell phone, and he called his office. His secretary answered. I could hear her talking. And in Hebrew, they were talking back and forth. She said, uh, she said, uh, Tuesday of next week's open. Anyway, he said, how about uh, two o'clock Tuesday afternoon? He said, will you? Would you like to come back here? He said, I want to introduce you to the, the guy, the head archaeologist for Qumran and the head archaeologist for the West Bank. And I said, yeah, I'll be here. So it's, it, when the day came, I, I met with him again. And we met at the uh, Rockefeller Museum in his main office. He was the top guy in all of Israel. And I began to show him my research. Long story short, the younger archaeologist, Yuval Peleg, who was over all of Qumran, the place where all the uh, all the treasure items are at? He he loved it. He loved the research, uh, but he had to play it cool because finding these these holy items like that in the West Bank is disputed territory, and I don't like to call it the West Bank. I like to call it Judea Samaria, but most people know about the West Bank. We uh, he wanted to do an excavation. And again, I'm making a long story short. Sure. And we went to Qumran, May Shukadorv, I mean, uh, Yuval Peleg and my team went to Qumran about, mm, it was about a year later, I think, when we finally got over there. It was in April uh, of 2009. And we started doing an excavation. Oh, my gosh. We, we started digging at the most important location of all. It's called the, the Buried Cave, what we call it the buried cave, because in second Maccabees, it talks about uh, Jeremiah taking all of the artifacts from the, from the uh, uh, temple, meaning the uh, altar of incense table, showbread, the uh, tabernacle itself. You know what the tabernacle is? I have no idea. Tell me what the tabernacle is. <laughs> well, do you remember the story about Moses going in the wilderness and, and, and they had a special tabernacle where all the services were performed. He was, in the, he was in the desert for like 40 years before he went into the promised land, which is Israel. Have you heard that story? Yes, sir, I have. Okay. Well, that, the tabernacle that he used during that 40-year trip is actually, according to Second Maccabees, it's inside of this same cave that I'm telling you about. Fascinating. Yeah, oh, gosh, it, more than fascinating to me. So we were actually digging to see if we could find the seal. <clears throat> the, the door or the opening to the cave, according to the second Maccabees, according to Emek HaMelech, according to the tablets, uh, the Ezekiel tablets found in Iraq, they all mm -hmm. said that that door was sealed shut, meaning they took stones, mortared them together, and built a wall to seal up the, the entry to that cave. 
Then apparently they took plaster and plastered the, the cave to, to seal it completely because they certainly didn't want any moisture to get in there. Right. Qumran is one of the driest places on earth. It gets about a half inch of rain per year. So, you know, do the math. There's just not a whole lot of rain has fallen there, even in 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. So we started digging. And we get a, oh, he gets, the archaeologist gets a phone call. He says, he says, oh, just a minute, guys. And he walked away from us. And so that we couldn't hear what was being said. He had got a phone call from the United States, excuse me, from the United States. And I'm not going to say which organization, but it was an archaeological organization. Uh, they were angry because here was a fireman from Lawton, Oklahoma, and they were doing an excavation on their dime uh, to, to check out my research. So those big shot PhD boys were angry. Well, because uh, we were posting updates on my website. Mm -hmm. Well, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish we just left it alone and didn't update the guys. But I'd promised all the people back in the United States I'd keep them updated. Once, once they found out I was doing that, they, because, you know, it, I didn't even have to fill out any paperwork. Normally you got a stack like six inches thick that you've got to fill out to uh, do an excavation, especially in the West Bank, especially at Qumran, because that's where all the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And that is a very precious archaeological site. So I can see why they were angry, but I didn't do anything to them. I just testing a theory and they wanted, the Israelis are the ones that wanted to see to see mm -hmm. if my research was right. Well, they shut us down. Like, you know, we couldn't dig any deeper. We couldn't go anywhere further. We had to stop. And we were at the most important cave there. So we, we went to, we went to the ruins, the actual ruins, which is about 340, 390 meters away. Mm -hmm. And we did some more work there, but it was, it was so superficial that there's no way because the, the scroll says you got to dig, you know, like 12 feet, you know, in five feet minimum, right. minimum to find anything. Well, they, we didn't dig the deepest we dug after we got over to, uh, at the ruins was like two, three feet, 11 inches. And that was it because they shut us down. We had, he had promised us we were going to go at least six feet right? and check this out. We were going to do five locations. They shut us down. We went three feet at the cave. We went uh, one foot uh, in one of the little tunnels and we went two feet just outside of the, uh, on the west side of the ruins. What a waste of, and it wasn't a waste of time. Let me, let me take that back. It, because what it did is it gave me credibility. Right. Here is the top man of all of, all of uh, Qumran, very well known, a very popular man that, you know, he authorized uh, excavations and he was doing the excavation for me. Plus he was, uh, it, everything was paid for by the Israelis. I didn't have to pay a thing other than my ticket over there and for the, some of the guys that went with me. So you can see at that point I was building, I was building credibility. So did I tell people in Israel? You bet you I did. And I got a lot of people, a lot of people behind me in Israel that want to see these things come out of the ground. So they have a, okay. So has anything been dug up? I mean, or, or is it still there? Like you say, they want to see it come out of the ground. So, I'm assuming from what you're saying that nothing's come out. Uh, no, not a thing. And, and the reason for that is uh, the the area called they call the West Bank. 
that is a hot, <clears throat> hotly contested area mm-hmm. because the Palestinians want it. They claim it. The Jordanians will claim the, the treasures. The Egyptians will claim the treasures because there's a probability that a lot of the gold and silver came from Egypt just mm-hmm. before the Exodus. I mean, it's a biblical story, but mm-hmm. I absolutely believe it's true. Then the Catholic Church, with all due respect to them, they're probably going to want it. So we've got all these entities, these organizations that are going to want this stuff. So the Israelis want to keep it at at this point. The leaders of the the people want it out of the ground. And a lot of the uh, government people, uh, politicians want it out of the ground. Uh, Certainly the rabbis do. But because of the politics in that area, it's... It's really a touch and go situation. So what's going on with it now then? I mean, if, if, if it's kind of like up in the air. Well, the, the, the biggest th- problem we've had <clears throat> since this pro- project began wasn't uh, archaeological. It wasn't political. It was a stinking COVID crap. You know, that's, that's was the biggest issue that we had. I was on my way to my wife and I and several people were on our way to scotland to do a presentation about my project and a couple of other guys had some interesting stuff going on and it shut everything down i couldn't go all of the money we spent on the airline tickets the gentleman that put all of his money into arranging this conference lost a bunch of money so you know the deal covid really this covid crap and excuse my language really shut us down absolutely so is it, I mean, you see movies about this kind of thing all the time. So when you were going through it, did, did you have to turn over all your uh, research or no? No, I didn't have to. <clears throat> I gave uh, some of my research to some of the rabbis, or a couple of the rabbis, and to uh, Shuka Dorfman. Uh, but uh, I wasn't going to turn loose any more of my research than that. That was it. Because, you know, I want to protect these items. Right. Uh they're they're incredibly valuable but to me it's not the the gold and silver it's the it's the history behind it i mean mm-hmm. how many people could possibly hope to uh, dig up the ark of the covenant and there's a possibility yeah. that i could and certainly uh the the actual tabernacle of moses are you kidding me that that is it's enormous on the scale of archaeology it's off the charts but it is again it's not it's not the it's important about the gold. Right. It's about the history, about the scrolls that we're going to find in that cave I told you about. Mm-hmm. It's about all of that. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you the Indiana Jones part of this. Okay. That's yeah. Go for it. I mean, what was he looking for whenever he was doing his first movie? He was looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Right. Oh, well, I, I am not an Indiana Jones and I'm not a treasure hunter. I'm doing this because of I, what I believe now. As I was doing the research on this uh, scroll, I came to the last five uh, locations on the scroll. Mm -hmm. And I found the first one pretty easy to find, found the second one, followed the same instructions, and it was real close by, like within uh, 20 yards, 30 yards, maybe, not even that. And, And then I found the third one. And the strange thing about it, those three were in a straight line. And then I looked at that. I thought, why would they do that? Why would they bury these three? The, the next one was like, oh, 40 yards away. <clears throat> so 20 yards, 40 yards. And I thought, oh, my gosh. 
if the next one is in a, in a straight line, I know what this guy, these guys are up to. Mm-hmm. And I, and when I found the, the fourth one, I knew, okay, what they're trying to do is help me locate the cave because that cave is so incredibly important. So I went to searching and sure enough, the fifth one, uh, uh, the fifth one, the last one on the scroll, number 57. Oh my goodness. They were all five in a straight line. So I thought, okay, wait a minute. If they, if they did this on the last five, I wonder if they did anything with the first three or the first. So I went to looking for it and I checked it because I already had them marked. Sure enough, I took a ruler and, and I poked a hole in each one of the locations in a map. And as I drew the, the, a line through them, the pencil dropped in each one of the holes going straight to the cave. So, you know, all of these are lined up. It's like this. It's like they were And to think about it and to think about this. If I'm right, mm-hmm. whoever was marking these spots was saying, you know, whoever this guy is that figures this out, all he's got to do is follow the yellow brick road. Just, you know, one location after another and, and just follow that and you will find the opening to the most important treasures in history. All five all three lined up and I'm telling you, the archeologists and the uh, people in the, uh, the rabbis and the Christians, everybody, when they see that, they just go, Oh my goodness, because that's the most Indiana Jones part of this deal. And again, I am no Indiana Jones, right. but I sure figured them out. Well, you know, what makes me wonder is the academics. I'm not, you know, I have nothing against academics. I've grown up around them. But sometimes they tend to overthink things, and maybe that's why they weren't able to figure out this code, you know, whatever this the, the, this information was that was on there. And you were able to do that. Well, one of the things I learned as an investigator, and honestly, my investigative skills came from Bible research. I did lots and lots of Bible research, and you got you don't have enough time to talk about that. <laughs> enough. I did Bible research. And use the same techniques that you use in investigations. I was doing the Bible research before I became investiga- an investigator. So I applied my re- Bible research skills to the investigation part of it. And I was, I was kicking some butt. I was figuring out a lot of the stuff. Now, when I applied that and, and, and began to figure out all these locations, that's what made everything gel and come together is – you try to figure out, and, and whenever I was doing an investigation, somebody had burned a home down, I would try to prove everybody innocent. Mm-hmm. For one reason, I didn't want to put anybody in jail that, you know, that actually didn't do anything. So I tried to prove them innocent. And by doing that, I eliminated all the fringe, and it boiled down to one guy or one girl in the whole process. And then when you lay out all the information in front of them, say, look, Here's what I've got. You want to talk to me? You want to go talk to the DA? And I never had to go to trial. All I had to do was just talk to them and show them my research, and they would confess. Hmm. Cool. Absolutely cool. Now, is there mention? Uh, uh, is there any mention of the scrolls in in biblical prophecy or anything like that? <clears throat> the closest it comes to biblical prophecy is Second Maccabees, because the uh, uh, the Catholic Church considers it canon. 
Uh, I consider it really, really accurate history for sure. Um, but the, there, there are other documents with the Jewish people consider in the realm of biblical, uh, biblical history, biblical, and some of it is prophecy. And those that are a couple I told you about, mm -hmm. uh, the, the book of a Baruch, it's in a very spiritual aspect talking about angels, uh, five angels. listen to the story, five angels. There were five guys that hid the treasures. These five angels were over Jerusalem. They took all the ark there and all the tabernacle, all the implements of the tabernacle and the temple, which are the same thing, but only, uh, in a, in a different building. They took all those artifacts, put them in the ground, stealed the cave. And, and the angels spoke to the earth and said, earth, earth, protect these items and, and so on. Anyway, that was from Baruch. So that's as close to actual biblical you get. You yeah. hear some of it. You, you hear the story of Jeremiah. The, the story of Jeremiah tells you the backstory of the scroll, but it doesn't, it doesn't get in detail. It's these other extra biblical texts where you get all the, the instructions from, certainly from the Copper Scroll, it gives you the uh, information. Emek HaMelech tells you a lot. It tells you the name of the men that actually wrote the Copper Scroll. Two of them, do you know anything about the Bible? A little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I was there were two. We just didn't go to church all the time, so, you know. <laughs> I understand. That's all right. There, there were two prophets that you you would know if you know anything about the prophets one of them was Haggai the other one was Zechariah they were two prophets and they named them specifically on two different documents the uh, copper scroll uh, not the copper scroll but the Emek um, HaMelech and again the Ezekiel documents there, which are actually tablets marble tablets that they chiseled all this information into and that it, it tells you all the really good backstory then on how everything came together, why they buried it, and uh, who buried it. And they actually say that it, they, they put all the information on a copper plate, which are, is they're talking about the copper scroll. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's I just find this so interesting. And do you think you're ever going to get a chance to? To go on a dig, or you think that you know? I, I think it's going to be hard. I think because it's, there's so much unrest out there. But do you think yes, you're I do. a chance? I absolutely. Yep, absolutely. That. Uh, matter of fact, there was a uh, Knesset member. Uh, mm -hmm. That's like the part, like the England's Parliament, kind of like you know the, our Congress here in the United States. And they they have a deputy. They have a Speaker of the House. And they have a deputy speaker of the Knesset. The deputy speaker of the Knesset's name was Moshe Faglin. Moshe Faglin, I went to see him in New York. A lot of the Jewish people asked me to come up there and talk to him and show him my research. So I did. I went to talk to him, showed him my research. And at first he did like everybody else. He thought I was a nut. And then after he saw, got into the research a little deeper, he, was, he asked me specifically, Mr. Barfield, why haven't you dug these things up? And I said, because your government won't let me. And he mm -hmm. said, what? And he said, why? I said, you tell me. I said, it's your government. I said, he, what, they, what they're afraid of is finding the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm not joking. Finding artifacts that prove the validity of the Bible 
there's a lot of people in this world that absolutely do not want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the problem here. So Moshe tells me, he said, Jim Barfield, he said, when are you coming back to Israel? And I said, I'll be there in a month. He said, bring your equipment. We're going to scan Qumran with a very powerful metal detector. So we did. We took it out there and we scanned. And, and I told him, I said, listen, it's illegal for me to do this. I said, I don't know about you. He said, no. He said, I have diplomatic immunity. I'm going to run the equipment. You're just going to tell me what to do. And I did. I walked him through it. We scanned five locations. Oh, my gosh. That, that's a very, it cost me $10,000 to get this metal detector. It's not like the one you see on the beach with a little bitty six-inch disc at the bottom of it. This thing was six feet wide, six feet long, the disc was. And, and it went down 50 feet. And then not only that, it gives you a computer readout and it tells you whether it is ferrous or non-ferrous. Are you familiar with those terms? Yes. I, in fact, I've seen those, I've seen those type of detec- detectors on TV before. Yeah. Well, you ain't seen one like this. <laughs> it was <laughs> massive. The, the head of it was, uh, the, the, uh, you got straps that hold them at the head of it. It's like, uh, six inches by six inches by four inches thick. And it's a control the main control head. Well, we scanned or he scanned it. I just guided him through it, what to do. And it had massive quantities of non-ferrous metals, which means gold, silver, brass, aluminum, which I, unless the prophets out there were having a beer party and left their cans, there's no reason for aluminum to be there. So it had to be brass, copper, uh, and gold, silver that we identified. And how many feet down? Uh, depending on which one, the, the, the majority of them were about 12 feet below the ground. Okay. Not all of them. Some of them were like five feet. Some of them, again, uh, were probably four feet deep. Not very many. The majority of them are really deep because they had a large amount. There's uh, one silver uh, pit. It's a ditch about 60 feet long. Uh, 12 feet deep, and I'm assuming they filled it half full. So you're talking about six feet high. So you're 60 feet long, six feet high, and five feet. That is a lot of silver. Mm-hmm. That is. And, and there's one location. I'm sorry. You know what I think is interesting, too, when you talk about them being buried as deep as they are? They will be able to go through and look at those levels of, of, of Earth, too, and be able to tell exactly how old that stuff is. There is a good possibility. Yeah, there's a good possibility that, of course, they can't do carbon dating, not unless, right. you know, one of the guys left, uh, you know, his wooden shovels down there. Right. Uh, but because if it's not an organic material, they can't do the carbon dating on it. Right. Right. But they can look at the um, the I was going to say like rings of the earth is what I call it, but they can look at the sediments. Yeah, and, yeah, but it's only it's only twelve feet deep. Okay, <clears throat> the, we couldn't. The uh, I, I was talking to the archaeologist Yuval Pelling, and he said, "Jim, we can't we can't scan it with uh, what is it they use uh, ground penetrating radar." He said, "We've tried it. This soil is lousy, lousy for doing ground penetrating radar." However, this metal detector did an awesome job. And I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I wish I could show you the results of the scans. You'd just 
you'd go, you'd freak out. Let's just put it that way. Wow. So do you plan to go back or are, are, they, are they planning to have you go back to help with the dig or, or are they going to dig or what are they going to do? Yes, I am planning, but I can't tell you when because we want to kind of keep it quiet. I don't want people meeting me at the airport or anything like that. I want to be able to get in there, do what I want to do and, and I, you know, go on with this. So we're not going to, we're not going to do anything at Qumran, but you have to establish uh, because of the COVID baloney, we, we lost momentum. We had uh, we had people um, from the Knesset. We had people with the influence, but it's been almost two years now, and, and we haven't had any movement or a year and a half at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we got to reestablish that and get the momentum going again. So is the United States going to participate in any of this, or is it just going to be mainly Israel and that in those areas? It's going to be Jim Barfield and his crew at this point, but okay. and it'll be the Israelis. Uh, if that's their property, not it doesn't belong to the United States. Okay. So it's their property, uh, and I'm going to respect that. Absolutely, yes. So, um, when you start to, if you start to find this stuff, what what's going to happen to you? Are you going to turn it over to a museum, or what are you going to do? What's going to happen to me? Well, what's um, going to happen to the stuff that you find? I mean, is it, is it going to be turned over to Israel? Or, oh, you know, of course, it, yeah. It, it, it will. I promise you, they will. They will establish a uh, fort to put this stuff in. I mean, they will put it in the the biggest vault they can get because there's. I don't think there's a vault in all of California big enough to put this in. Wow. It's just not. I mean, the the second location. Listen, second location. Um, remember the the three in a row. The second one is 900 talents of gold. Wow. Do you know how, how much a talent weighs? A lot. <laughs> a lot. A 75 lot. pounds. Yeah, so I figured 50, 50, around 50 pounds, 75 pounds, yeah. 75 times 900 times 14 ounces because uh, uh, troy ounces are what they use to measure uh, precious metals. And then multiply all of that I did it the other day, and the co- the 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 value of those nine hundred talents is one point five billion dollars. Wow, that's a that, that's a lot, and that's just one location, one out of fifty-seven locations. Wow, you know, the whole time you're talking to me, I'm thinking about the nut, the, the nice Templar. Um, gold and all that too you know because it's a similar thing where who knows what happened to that you know and when they were hiding that as well but this is this is like this is off the charts yeah it, it'll make the knights templar look like peanuts yeah this is just off i the mean I, I do believe the knights templar did uh lock into one of the other stashes there's been not more than just one there's mm-hmm. more than just Qumran, but Qumran is the one that's got the most precious uh, religious artifacts, and that's why it's the most important to me. Wow! And, are, and 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 as far as the cave goes, you're going to be looking for that cave as well, right? Or have you already been there? Oh, I know where the cave's at. Remember, I followed the yellow brick road, uh, and and those you know those two lines actually cross. Wow. Uh, it makes a sharp point. They actually cross, and where they cross is exactly where the the uh, cave entrance is at. It's amazing. 
do you think you know uh you know like like in egypt the people that were able to get into the pyramids and, and, and pill for the pyramids do you think there's a chance that somebody found this cave and then got in there no already? okay nope uh there's it hadn't been it hadn't been uh penetrated i mean there there would be signs of digging okay. uh and unless they they dug and covered it all back up Mm-hmm. But no, I don't. I don't believe so at all. Because I have guys that live in Israel. I'll send them out there periodically just to check on things. Go for a a day picnic and and go out there and check, make sure everything's safe. And so far, it appears that nobody has touched it. Wow. This is this is the most incredible thing I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, wow. It's just it's just mind boggling. Well, think of think of it from my perspective. I mean, I was a fireman, let's face right. it, and, right. and, I, and I was doing Bible study, and it led me to this. How, how off the charts is that? I mean, I was, I'm, I'm here doing a, what, again, what's called, it's a biblical feast called Sukkot, right. and I was telling all the people here, and they absolutely love it, and I love them, and we, we're having a wonderful time here. And I told them, I said, guys, my education level is I have an associate degree and I had to get it because I was a warrant officer in the army. And as a warrant officer, you've got to have minimum to start off with for promotion purposes. You've got to have at least an associate degree. So I got an associate degree. All I had at the time was a, you know, high school diploma. And, uh, that's it. That's why I think all the PhD boys are so angry is some (laughs) fireman from Lawton, Oklahoma, uh, found all these things and they've been looking to it for for 52 years or since 1952 all right let me ask you this then along that line how long did it take you to decipher the things well when i told you well it's this i I figured out how to understand it within five minutes five minutes and then i and i found the first five in 20 minutes and then by and then i started uh evaluating the rest of them and by June, from from December, I think 20th, somewhere there, from December 20th until June the 22nd, 2007. So do the math. Wow. That's how long it took me to do That's why they're that. angry. That's why they're upset. <laughs> it is. I mean, with all due respect to the nice ones, because there were some really nice guys. But the buttholes were buttholes. I'm telling you, they were not, they were not nice people. I bet I can imagine. So, um, when you finally got this done and you were getting ready to present it, how did you go about, you know, presenting it? I mean, you just don't walk in one day to somebody's office or make a phone call and go, "Oh, by the way, this this thing you've been trying to decipher for all these years, I figured it out. Let me show you." Uh, you know, I went. I I had gone to a rabbi. Okay. Had a hard. He was a very high-ranking rabbi in Israel. And I, I went to, I tried to call him. I kept trying to get an appointment, kept trying to call him, call him, call him. And then finally I got through and they agreed, okay, yeah, you can come in. You can have about 10 minutes, blah, blah, blah. So I was on time. Me and my buddy, Chris, we were on time. We, we walked up to secretary met us and had us sitting in his lobby. And then he came out and he said, uh, gentlemen, we'd like to come in. We went in. And, and I looked at him and he, he said, uh, what can I do for you? And I said, I want to show you some of my research. He said, on what? I said, have you ever heard of the Copper Scroll? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I know how to understand it. 
Same thing has happened with Schuchadorf and the head of the Antiquities Authority. He right. thought I was a nut. And I'm, I'm not joking. Right. He thought I was a nut. And he was looking at me and he got a little nervous because at the time I had really long hair. Right. And my buddy Chris had really long hair. So <laughs> we, we both, he said, well, sit down here, gentlemen. And I pushed my research over in front of him. I said, I want to show you. Just give me a minute. Let me show you. And he said, okay. Within five minutes, five minutes, that, that rabbi got up out of his seat. He comes over to me and he puts his hands on both of my shoulders and he pulls on me and I stand up with him. He lifts me up and he kisses me on both cheeks. He said, Mr. Barfield, do you realize what this means to my people? I said, yeah, I do. It means the same thing to my people. And he said this, and this is what he told me that I did not know. He said, Mr. Barfield, what you found is the dowry for the coming bride. Do you know what that means? The bride of bride of Messiah. Right. I, right. That is the dowry for the for the coming king or for the bride, actually. And because what does the, the father do? He puts aside a lot of money for the for the wedding and for the for the yeah. couple so that they can survive. Right. Wow. 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 And then I I just had I had a great thought. <laughs> I'm just overwhelmed by this. I mean, oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say. You know, a lot of things that have been found, just like with you going over the scrolls, I'm not saying mm -hmm. by accident, but by, by, but by layman. Let's say by layman, you know, not the, the non-academics. Like out here, we have caves out here. And a lot of the caves have been found simply by farmers because their livestock's fall, falling in through the holes. <laughs> you, see what I was, you see where I'm going with this? I, I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. Because... The guy that found the uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that started all this right. was a little boy. He was a little boy. He was looking for his sheep. They have a lot of better ones there that have uh, you know sheep herds. And right. He was looking for his one of his sheep, and he threw a rock into one of the caves, mm -hmm. and he hit one of the jars or the their stone jars, not stone jars, but pottery, and it shattered it, and it scared him. So, but he still went in there to look, and he found several. Dead Sea Scrolls, which he thought he'd just sell the leather and you know use it for shoe straps or whatever. Right. But he, he he finally wound up selling it, and that's when everything exploded. So it was a little boy, Bedouin, uh, shepherd boy that found it. Yeah, yeah. See, this is how this stuff happens. Just like with you, you know, you started to really study and look at these things, and then boom, there it was. And now you got these academics not happy with you. <laughs> yeah, they're not. But you know what? Bless their hearts. I don't have time to mess with them. Right. And, and, and honestly, there were there were many that were very nice men. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm so what? Uh, so what plans do you have coming up now with all this? What's next? Uh, like I said, I'm going back to Israel. Uh, I'm here. You know, I share. I'm sharing my research, and and uh, they love it. They just love it because I'm telling you, it's so simple. It's not something complicated. Uh -huh. It's so simple that it's hard not to realize uh, the probabilities are incredibly high that I really have figured out where this stuff is at. So we're waiting. And, and uh, like I said, I'm going to go back to Israel to try to reestablish momentum and get some of the uh, Knesset members behind me. And, and we've got a new they've got a new government over there. Israel has had a terrible last four years. Uh, they've, they've had. 
<clears throat> government after government, they've had re election after election because in Israel, if you have a, it's kind of like a no confidence vote, mm -hmm. then you got to go back to the, back to the drawing board and have another election. And it's been crazy. So a lot, there's a lot online right now. How do you prepare to go back? I mean, like, like, no, like, I, like, I, you know, I know you're planning to go back and all, but what goes into preparation for you to go back to do this? Uh, you got to wash your undies, get all your stuff in line. <laughs> and uh, you, really, there's, there's not a lot. <clears throat> it just boils down to getting your housing, getting your, your planning for your food, planning for vehicles, because gas in Israel is sky high. And then due to that, the rental cars are sky high. Mm -hmm. But uh, you and you plan on who you got to take with you and what you plan to accomplish. And you got to make phone calls and get all the uh, uh, meetings you're hoping to have and get all them all established. And, and of course, we're going to go out to Qumran and we're going to check things, make sure everything's still in its place. Uh, we got a lot of respect for Qumran and we want to make sure that the property there is properly preserved. And mm -hmm. when an excavation does happen, we it, they have got to take extra care of those of those buildings because uh, that location will be second only to the Temple Mount once this is done. Because let me tell you one other thing: uh, the uh, the ruins the ruins were built, and I figured this out accidentally. The ruin, ruins were built to to uh, to represent a miniature. Jerusalem in the wilderness at the time of Jeremiah. <clears throat> That's just incredible. And the locations I can I, that I identified, those identified locations match with Jerusalem. Uh, like, for example, the Pool of Siloam is a double entry. You, you go in one side, come out the other. At Qumran, it's in the same spot. There's a mikvah, which is baptismal. You go on one side, come out the other. And all of the water system, the uh, uh, the women's house, the women's uh, location are identical to the uh, place where they fed the women at Qumran. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. The Jaffa Gate, uh, there's a there's a point exactly where it should be on the Qumran, and it literally you take a map of Qumran and and either enlarge it or a map of Jerusalem and shrink it a little bit and lay it on top of each other, and they would almost match identically. Wow. That, I mean, I keep saying it's incredible, but it is. The whole thing is incredible. And it's so impressive. It it's just, I'm so impressed. It, it's just, wow. Yeah, and it's, you know, for me, it's like I told you, I sometimes I sit and I just go, how in the heck did a guy from Lawton, Oklahoma <laughs> get involved in this? Wow. And, yeah. Here's a question. Now, when you, and I, and I traveled out of country, now you're going on this dig to do this stuff. When you go through customs over there, when they ask you what, what is your business in, in Israel, what do you want to tell them? I, I always tell them I'm I'm going to sightsee, and that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm gonna go check the sites where all this stuff is buried. <laughs> I wonder what you would say <laughs> to explain what you're doing. I'm gonna go over here and dig up artifacts now. Yeah, yeah. No, don't tell them that. <laughs> I was just because kidding. that. That's way illegal for me to do. I, we have to have it properly established with archaeologists and with, uh, you know, the proper, um, you have to have a college behind you, that kind of thing, university. Right. Uh, so, yeah, before we before we actually put a shovel in the ground, we all have all of our paperwork in a row. That is really cool. 
you know what? Thank you so much for coming on. This was so interesting. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. I loved every second of it. And after you come back, I would love to talk to you again to talk about you know how things went. Oh my god. Okay. Would you be uh, my wife is I mean, Yeah. I would love my to wife have right over there. I'll have her write it down. So we will we will call you when I get back. Sounds good to me. Thank you so much. And enjoy the rest of your retreat, you know, and what you're doing this week. And uh, thank you for coming on. This is so fascinating. You know, Charlotte, I enjoyed talking to you. And how can people find you, sir? Uh, I've got a website, but I don't, I don't, I don't update it because I'm. It's not like a ministry, you know, where every time you find something new, you put it on there and you know get more money. I'm not about money. I just, but they can go to the Copper Scroll Project. Just, just uh, plug it into a search engine, Copper Scroll Project, Jim Barfield. And it'll pull it up and you can go in there and see what I've got posted. Like I said, I don't update it because I can't, there's a lot of things I can't say on my website because these items are so, they're so volatile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Understood. Understood. All right, sir. Well, you have a rest of your good evening. And again, thank you so much. And I, I would love to have you on again, you know, once you get over there and and, and dig and, and come back and have some results. I would love to hear it. You got a deal. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. You're very welcome. Thank you, ma'am. All right, guys. That was really cool. I'll tell you, if I I was younger, better shape, didn't have a bad back, I'd be volunteering to go along on this thing. I mean, I would love to do stuff like that. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jim. Tomorrow, we're shifting gears back into our casual Fridays. Medium Nancy Matts will be here. We're going to be talking about past lives intrusions. What happens when things happen in your life that kind of seeps over from your past life? That's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. So that'll be our Friday show. I want to give you guys a heads up. This was a great show. Monday. I've got a special guest coming on Monday. I want to give you guys a heads up ahead of time. If anybody out there has heard about the killer Africanized bees. All right. I'm sure you guys have. This is, you know, that this stuff's been going on for like, years there's a gentleman down in arizona that does bee extractions and he, and he handles these bees he even collects their honey he's going to be joining us monday evening he may even be going out live on this show too because he may have an extraction to do because he's always on call but he is going to be with us monday evening at 6 30 to talk about what he does and to talk about these bees because these bees are now in all the lower 48 states in fact in illinois there was just a story about a gentleman that was that was pruning a tree and got attacked. So it's going to be an interesting show Monday. Going to be a scary show, but an interesting show. So he's going to be with us on Monday. So I'm going to give you guys a heads up for that because that's going to be a pretty cool show. All right. Anyway, so tomorrow night, we'll go back tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, Nancy will be with us. And we will be talking, like I said, we will be talking about past lives and how they can intrude on your life today. And, uh, you know, in the, in, in the here and now. So that's going to be a fun show today. We'll be here at 6.30 our usual time. want to thank you guys for coming. Again, if you're watching from Facebook, Facebook, if you're watching from Facebook and you like the show, please hit that follow button. Or if you want to follow me over on Instagram, be uh, feel free to do that at Ghost Gal. And if you're watching from YouTube and uh, you, you want to hear more of uh, the shows we have and the, and the different guests and stuff, Please hit that subscribe button down there, that little ghost with the Sherlock Holmes head on and the uh, magnifying glass. All right? 
But I want to thank you all for coming tonight. And I'm going to give you his information for contact. And there's actually a book out about the Copper Scrolls as well that you guys can check out. So here we go. I'm going to do that right now. And button time. Okay, he's got two. There's two websites. CopperScrollProject.com. And then the author that wrote the book on the on, on the Copper Scroll is ShellyNeese.com. And there it is, a Copper Scroll Project. And you can get that book at Amazon. Okay. I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good night, you guys.